Welcome to season 11 of the Art of Teaching podcast. My name's Matthew Green, and I'm so grateful that you've joined me today. Before we get started with our discussion, I would like to acknowledge the Dharawal people, the traditional custodians of this land on which I'm recording, and pay my respects to elders past, present, and emerging. I respect and honour Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander elders, past, present and future, and I acknowledge the stories, traditions and living cultures of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples on this land. Welcome to this very special episode of the Art of Teaching podcast. This week is NAIDOT week, and NAIDOT week is an opportunity for all Australians to come together to celebrate the rich history, diverse cultures and achievements of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples as the oldest continuing cultures on the planet. My guest today is the incredible Tammy Anderson, who's been an educator and passionate advocate for Aboriginal education in schools for the last 20 years. A Birrupi woman from Eds in New South Wales, Tammy is the principal at Briar Road Public School and the 2021 Naragunwali Reconciliation in Education Awards finalist. I've heard Tammy speak on a number of occasions and each and every time I'm left speechless, which is very rare for me. In this wide-ranging conversation, we talked about uncomfortable truths, why this year's NAIDOT Week celebrations are particularly significant to her and her family, and why the most effective way to bridge the gap is to be the best teacher you can be. I hope that you enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with the amazing Tammy Anderson. Tammy Anderson, um, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. Where are you phoning in from? I'm phoning in from Darwell country today, uh, out in Camden and uh, enjoying day two of NAIDOC. So um, beautiful day where I am. Amazing. And uh, we will get into uh, some of the amazing NAIDOC uh, celebrations in a moment and why it's such a significant um, uh, part of our year. And I'm so grateful that you would talk to me on the first day of NAIDOC week, when we, uh, second day, sorry, when we organised this, I, I didn't plan it, um, I wasn't that organised, but it seems to have, uh, it, it seems to have worked out quite well, but quite possibly one of the most important questions uh, for our conversation, what's your coffee order? Coffee order, a caramel latte, uh, and I'll take it lactose, please. Fantastic. That's very fancy. Um, it, is there a book uh, that you have uh, written, uh, sorry, read? It could be about education or it could be more broadly uh, that has caused you to stop and uh, reconsider a few things in your life. Oh, one was hard. I have to tell you, sir, when I, um, okay. yeah, when I, when I read that question, I was like, wow, uh, one that's made me stop, uh, Plenty make me think. I, I, I don't get past the first two pages unless I'm thinking uh, and then I put it down. But I, I have to say um, 
broadly dare to lead, Brene. Uh, she, I'm, yeah. I'm a fangirl uh, in her work and uh, anything that she does, uh, just really kind of a lot of aha moments for me. Uh, but yeah. uh, home-based for me, um, good morning, Dr. Sarah. Uh, well, he was Mr. Sarah. He's Dr. Sarah now, but Chris Sarah's autobiography out of his work in school leadership in Sherbrooke. Um, and really spoke to me as, as a, a black educational um, leader. And uh, then I have one more, which is uh, Another Day in the Colony, which is Professor Chelsea Wadigo. So um, I'm still on hers at the moment. But again, you know those books where you really feel you're, you, you're in it? Um, yeah, that they're books that really make yeah. me feel like I'm in it. So what was it um, about Dr. Chris Sarah's work that made you feel like? he was speaking to you um i mean i heard him speak once at the opera house and was just blown away is it the same experience with his writing yeah i, I think for me it was uh, i when before i'd read it i, I wasn't a school leader uh, i was a you know yeah. i was well in this in the role of uh principal but i was certainly on my journey in leadership and it, it really spoke to me about the importance of the work that I need to do being authentically me in leadership and mm. um, kind of really gave me some different shape about being a First Nations leader um, in a school system. So, yeah, I, I just, there was so much about it that spoke to me, whether it was the, the way in which he'd kind of um, grown up and come through the system to working in, wasn't his own community, but a predominantly black community um, and, and, the results that they achieve, but he's fairly uh, reflective, uh, Dr. Chris Sarah. Mm. So um, the work really, um, really yeah. permeates that. Yeah. I, I think that notion of authenticity is interesting, especially considering the work of Benet Brown. Yeah. I mean, that's something that she talks a lot about. Um, do you feel like you have, um, is, is that more of a recent thing for you to, uh, to be your authentic self? I mean, I'm not proposing that you were, not authentic before, but is it something that you have kind of grown into? Yeah, ab- absolutely. I think when when you're up and coming, I certainly was. I was a young principal, or you're youngish. They're getting younger, um, you know, every year. Or I'm getting older, and I love that. I, I love that the space has evolved and changed. And you know, leadership is not about a years served. Uh, it's about mm. impact. And um, I, I was relatively young, and I think that I'd I'd been conditioned to believe I needed to lead a certain way, whether that was you know parking your you know your emotions completely and having this this level of IQ that was you know almost um void of of humanness um or it was you know leading in terms of just following all of the steps that the system wanted you to so I I thought for the first probably two three years I was very um I suppose step-by-step leadership and very boxy maybe maybe almost robotic if I think about it you know doing all of the things that I needed to do and um you know, when you start to evolve a little bit and get comfortable in your own skin and, you know, and then the overlay of, of listening to and learning from leaders who have really led authentically, I think I, I've shaped up differently now that, you know, people want to see the real you. People people don't, you know, buy, you know, necessarily what you do, it's how you do it. Yeah, yeah. I think that's so important and, and I've had the privilege of hearing you speak Um I think twice now at our wonderful school and, and that authenticity um, really shines through. I mean, there's, I think you really create a, um, an environment where people feel comfortable to ask questions. I mean, you obviously work um, um, in a, um, 
so you touched on some some pretty sort of challenging topics in regards to our um, First Nations um, people, and and you create an environment where people are comfortable to ask all of those questions. It feel like it feels like there's no such thing as a silly question, yeah. which I uh, I really appreciate. Um, Tammy, if you could have a dinner party with anybody, um, who would be there? Um, obviously, your your family, your wonderful family, don't count uh, in the numbers. Uh, but who would you love to sit down with and, and share a meal with? Well, it, the good thing is that if I didn't have family there, at least my children, I'd be able to get through a whole meal. So that'd be nice. Um, my plan to get through a whole meal would include um, Barack Obama. Um, his leadership style is is something that I um, just am in awe of. Um, I'd, I'd love to sit down with him, um, hear about his time, um, and and also like post post that leadership uh, opportunity that he's had. Uh, I'd like to have my grandmother, uh, my father's mother, who uh, is the matriarch in my family. She's a strong Biripai woman, and um, I don't feel like I, I lost her young. And part of, you know, what we see in our community around chronic health that our our elders uh, leave us uh, far too early, which is why this year's NAIDOC is so important. Um, but um, she left too early. I was 18 and have lots of questions um, now that I'm a woman and had my own children. And I'd, I'd love to know more about the way that she saw the world and um, the way she walked the world a little bit more. Uh, and uh, the last person, I thought about where I am right now and, and particularly in what week, but it would be William Cooper. Uh, and he, he was a Yorta Yorta man and uh, he was responsible kind of for leading the morning day and he was very influential for his people in terms of, you know, petitioning the king for, you know, land uh, land back to his people. And, um, you know, in, in the 30s, that would have taken some strength, um, some character and definitely a whole lot of smarts. So, you know, I'd love to kind of get around the table with uh, those people and, and hear from them and, and wonder what they think of us now, um, in particular my grandmother and William Cooper. And I'm very fortunate to have a lot of his descendants at my school. And uh, so it's just um, just beautiful to watch them continue the work. One of his uh, great great granddaughters is a beginning teacher at my place, and uh, I just love to know yeah, what he wow. thought about what he thinks about her. No doubt, massively proud. Wow! Yeah, that sounds like a um, that would be an amazing dinner party. Yeah, it uh, would. To sit down and talk, and and um, Tammy, where are you? Where are you from? Yeah, my, my family about... mid north coast. Uh, Matthew, also known as God's country, you know, you can ask uh, uh, anyone about country up there. It's absolutely beautiful, but uh, I'm a little bit biased. So my family were moved to a place, a reserve called Dingo Creek, and uh, my matriarchal lines run through there. So both saltwater and freshwater dreaming um, and song lines for me. Fantastic. We uh, we talk about the Shire as God's country, but I don't know if that is. Uh, I don't know if that's the case. Well, when you're a black follower, you um, you, your own country is God's country, so it makes for good debates. Just to throw it out there, you know. Yeah, um, that's that's wonderful. Why, tell me, why is it important to ask people um, where they're from? I'm aware that there are um, the people listening that will be listening to our discussion that are um, from uh, all over the world, mm-hmm. all different cultures, all different backgrounds. Why is that such an important question uh, for you and for your people? 
Uh, yeah, it, it, that, that is a good question. I think uh, for, for far too long, uh, Australia and the world probably viewed us as a homogenous per- people, uh, a homogenous group of people, but we're all so distinct, you know, our own distinct cultures um, within what we know to be Aboriginal people, uh, our own country, our own song lines, uh, the stories that separate us. Uh, there's a lot of uh, similarities in, in us as a people, but there's a lot of differences as well. So really um, being able to know your country, know where you're from, uh, know where you sit in this big, uh, vast landscape uh, really does deepen the sense uh, of belonging for me in particular. Uh, for us as Aboriginal people, knowing where someone's from just really kind of allows you to place them, um, to make connections, uh, to honour uh, anything that you may know of country or people from country. And so it's a really, you know, a beautiful thing. You know, pe- people, uh, when I liken it a little bit to when people say, oh, you know, no, no one says, oh, I'm from Europe. We tunnel down a little bit like I'm from Italy and then I'm from within Italy, I'm from this little place, you know, this little town on the on, on the coast. For us, um, getting nitty-gritty into terms of who, who your actual mob mob is, your song lines um, and, and what, the way you connect in this world is, is really important in terms of placement and a deepened sense of belonging. So for people that are not aware, what does the term um, songline mean? Um, why is it important to, um, uh, to to talk about that? Yeah, for, our, for us, songlines are, are our, our deepened connections uh, to country. They are, they are the stories of country, how things have come to be, how things are. Um, how things were it's it's the way in which um, we connect through language you know through song through through dance all the while connecting us as as people as beings um, to a place and that is country it's when I first heard you speak Tammy I um I thought about my own schooling which was over in this very sort of um, remote country town in the middle of England and we um Australia was just the furthest I you could, I mean, you can't get any farther away from England than you can, uh, than Australia. But for me, it just seemed like this distant land. And the only history that I was taught um, all through primary school and into the beginning of high school was the um, uh, invasion of Captain Cook. Uh, I had no idea um, about First Nations people. I had no idea about the uh, diversity and the, and, and the rich culture of this, uh, of the oldest um, uh, living tradition um, on earth. And... Does that sort of say something about how um, history is told? Because I had no idea until I came here um, that Australia had um, such a diverse and such a deep history. Yeah. Um, it, what are your thoughts? I, I genuinely had no idea um, until I arrived here um, because we were told about the the Romans, the with the Greeks um, and the invasion um, by the British Empire. Absolutely. And so what does that tell us about how history is told and how can we even begin to have the right type of conversations around that. Yeah, absolutely. Like colonised history is told was told through the lens for me growing up. So particularly like I started school in 85 at Briar Road Public School and and, and every teacher that I had was, was a non-Aboriginal teacher. Uh, and so teaching through their own lens, and no doubt that's what you experienced um, growing up and being taught in your system. Um, the construct of education when, when it landed here, you know, I think we celebrate 175 years this year in public education in New South Wales, but it was a colonised construct. We've been educated on country since time immemorial, since the dreaming. And so, um, and that was through our song lines, they, that was our education. And so um, for us, you know, education 
is a trauma and was a trauma point for us for for a very long time and I reflect on on being educated in 85 no 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 Aboriginal faces in the school um the the curriculum constructed through a through a white world lens and so there was a clear distinction between who I was and where I come from um and how that had to shift the moment I walked through the gate um and and I didn't know it at the time that that there was a lot of shifting of who I was and who 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 I had to leave behind in order to engage in this, you know, in this Western world um, part of learning. And and there were lots of times that I struggled and uh, there was a light bulb moment in terms of education for me two times mainly in my life. In, in 1989, the first kind of black face emerged in our school when it was an Aboriginal woman from our community and she was employed as an AEO and New South Wales had just started this rollout of identified positions and, and you know, I, I actually for a while couldn't fathom what she was there to do. I thought she was just visiting every day, um, but but it turns out you know she was employed by the system um, to, to help us and 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 strengthen our sense of connection with schools. The first AEOs in New South Wales, and and later on she became my mother-in-law, and I'm sure that wasn't planned in 1989. But you know she significantly instrumental um, in my sense of belonging in, in the gates uh, of a New South Wales public school, and then. Uh, I, I kind of really um, disengaged from school in my secondary years and just I saw it more as a social opportunity and um, probably didn't take very seriously what, what school could have done. Again, probably feeling in a community like ours, there was a high population Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander kids and uh, we were from... Um, low socioeconomic backgrounds, but we, we had strong family connections. And uh, in our secondary school, there was an emergence of Aboriginal education, but it certainly wasn't what it is today. And in, in year 11, in 1995, I had a teacher who um, encouraged me to take up Aboriginal studies. And it was the first time I ever became kind of an expert in any any curriculum area. And it was because it was mine. Uh, I couldn't couldn't possibly get it, although I thought I couldn't possibly get it wrong. You know, I've, I've got to know more than the teacher in this instance, and uh, and it turned out wow. that I did. And um, but I think that that was a real turning point for me in terms of understanding um, that you know mm. I could be successful at school, and it was through my own culture. Yeah. And it's probably why yeah. I have such a strong um, a strong push in my leadership on leaning into and living through a black lens um in everything that we do at our school yeah so i've had sorry a little bit of background my my, um wife um is indian south african and she um has told me some uh, really horrific stories of of apartheid and what happened in south africa and she has these vivid memories of her queuing up with her mum to vote i believe it was around 1993 and um, I, I went back with, with her a number of years ago to a place called Peter Marisburg, which is a very um, uh, multicultural area. And I remember walking around the, the shops um, and I held her hand really tightly um, and I said to her, I've never felt like I don't belong somewhere. And I was looking in the shops and I saw these uh, beautiful pictures of models that were, that were dark. I saw this, this wonderful culture everywhere, but I felt a bit out of place. Mm. And um, I'm in no way going to, pretend I understand what it feels like to be marginalized or to be able to not feel like I'm represented. But for a split second, I just felt like I didn't belong somewhere. Yeah. And I, I whispered to her and I said, um, I feel a bit out of place here. And she said, that's exactly how I have felt my entire mm. life. 
and we live uh, near Cronulla. It's very monocultural. And she said when she first came to Australia, she just never saw people that looked like her. She never saw people that were um, Indian, South African, that were doing great things in positions of power and influence and successful people. Can can you relate to that? And is it is it why is it so important for people to see people that look and sound and behave and have aspirations like them? Because it's something that I have never, apart from that split second, I've never really experienced. But but why is that so important? And what was your experience like? Because this is your this is your country. Yeah, yeah. I, I suppose I'm drawn when when I'm hearing you talking, like all of it, you know, you know, resonates. But I suppose it's that unconscious bias that I, I try and challenge in in my work, and it's not that I, you know, people are inherently racist that that exist in in spaces within society. But one of the things that, um, you know, I I think that I'd get the opportunity to do is really challenge um, in our leaders about um, what we hold on to, even when we know we're not, we might not even know we're holding on to it. Um, You know, the opportunity um, to feel uh, uncomfortable in your own environment doesn't happen too often to too many people. It's it's small uh, pockets of community, but um, you know, that, that notion of being known, valued and cared for, I have to say when that, when that rhetoric come out from our system, um, I, I really loved it. I, I love that whole thought about people being known, known and, and valued. It's something that uh, I think has made a difference in my life, and it's something that I think I carry through now in what I see. A good part. My my job has many many things, but I do think that my job does involve me um, educating others, and at the same point, people taking responsibility for educating themselves. Like I, I think on a on a journey of reawakening or a, a journey of, of educating, you can only take yeah. someone so far before they've got to do that deep work. And and you know, yeah. difference for you in in saying um, your experience is that you you obviously doing deep reflective work on self. And uh, I think that um, I'm always required to do it as a leader and I, I definitely really try and encourage um, those that I work with yeah. to do the same thing. Yeah, I, I think it's um, it, it's so important. I mean, I, I have two, um, as you saw, one of them came in before, uh, two uh, mixed-race girls. Um, they're the first uh, people that were born in Australia in our family. Um, and so I'm trying to work out how do you have these how do you have these uh, uh, conversations with young people or any children talk to them about the history of the the country that they now call home? Because it it's challenging because the thing that I find really difficult is I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm proud to be from England. Like when I go back, I feel like I'm home. I see, I see the union flag and go, Oh my gosh, I'm home. But I also know that there's a very, um, there's, there's two sides to that, isn't there? Um, and so I guess I'm trying to work out how do you how do you have those conversations in in, in ways that are um, uh, appropriate to young kids and and also be authentic at the same time? Do you do you have any thoughts on that? Um, how do we how do we do a better job of that? Yeah, you know, reconciliation week, and we're always talking about you know truth telling, and um, sometimes the truth is uncomfortable. And that's the mm. bit that humans generally don't like, you know, an uncomfortable conversation is, is, is never a nice thing. Um, it's also super uncomfortable to know the truth not being told. Um, and yeah. so I think 
it's uncomfortable either way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah it is. And, yeah. and and you have to then ask yourself, um, you know, what damage um, is going to occur by not telling the yeah. truth? And I would, I would on my, and again, my lens, but my lens is there's more damage in not telling the truth than telling the truth. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, we do it in a way that we, we don't want to add to people's trauma, but at the same, at the same time, not telling it, um, is, is more damaging. Like we can't allow, yeah. um, more generations, uh, of this country to walk through, um, without a truth. I'm very conscious though, that, you know, a lot of times I spend time talking to teachers who say, oh, like, you know, I'm, I'm in kindergarten and I'm just, I'm not sure how to tell that, you know, when we talk about the stolen generations and, and kids are crying and and um, there are really important things that we need to think about as, as adults um, and as educators about how to tell these stories in a way in which they land. And, and what happens with little people if we start with that truth telling at a very young age, um, we, we can add layers onto that story. Um, and by time that they become, you know, emerging young people with, with you know, very strong voices, because I have them from a young age, but even stronger voices uh, into their teens that, that they have been mm. equipped and scaffolded with, with, with the tr- correct truth of the country. And, you know, they'll go on yeah. to change the world. Um, but if we continue yeah. not to tell it, um, you know, yeah. we can continue to stay the same. Well, I think like now that we, um, it's like, I think being ignorant is, is not necessarily a bad thing until you know the truth. Um, you don't know what you don't Absolutely. know. Uh, and I think now the fact that we know and the fact that I am more informed about what has happened, um, it's it's important to go on that journey as well. Like I I, um, uh, I have the privilege of teaching um, uh, year three and year four kids um, and they ask a lot of questions. Yeah. <laughs> they really do. They, yeah, it's it's really lovely, and and I think there's um, there's so many times in class where um, I, I've been sort of attempting to bring in Aboriginal perspectives or uh, attempting to talk about something that has happened, and I, instead of trying to, I definitely don't have the answers. I'm just trying to work it out myself, and so quite often I might get a student um, uh, um, uh, to come and uh, model some of the work, or, or bring in an artifact, or bring in something that they're passionate about, or I might just say to my students, I'm just I'm I'm just trying to, I'm trying to work this out. Um, And I think for so long in my career, I was just scared of getting it wrong. Um, And now I, I probably do get it wrong, but at least I admit that I'm. Yeah. 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 I hear you. It's so so true. And you know, you know, I think um, kids love nothing more than watching their teacher learn. Absolutely. The teacher stands out the front and says, I know everything is not right. The right teacher that, you know, your yeah, kids. Yeah. My my thoughts yeah. on it is I, I kind of I've heard this saying before and I'm I'm drawn to it. The the, the first time's a mistake. I tell if I tell you something and you don't know, you don't know and um you know the first time's um on you and then the second time is ignorance and you know uh, I think that uh, one of the things that I see in our system and a lot of brothers and sisters is working mm-hmm. both in education and outside of education to to grow the awareness um, of, yeah. of our people. I think that, you know, we don't have any excuses anymore. It used to be a lot of, and I understood why people would say, like, I don't, you know, I don't want to cause offence. And and while I appreciate that, I think that's a, a really beautiful kind of thought to have. What you don't want to do is do nothing either. So, you know, doing the right thing um, in consultation will hold you in good stead, but doing nothing is the danger part. Yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't agree more, Tammy. And um, my understanding is that you uh, 
went to school at the school that you are now the principal at is that yeah, is that a love a love story right <laughs> um, yeah like why is uh, how important has that been to be um part of the school community that you that you, or the, sorry how important is that for you to to be um so embedded in the school community in terms of your principalship and leadership is yeah I think has I've, that been fun has it been challenging yeah i've been giving it a lot of thought like like coming i've just clocked 10 years um and yeah. for some some that might be a long time uh, i've kind of been reflecting on why um it's not a long time for me and i think yeah. it's about the intimacy the intimate relationship i've had with the school um and the school community my you know, my nephews, my nieces, my my husband, or my husband's family, my family have all all been there through through that school. Uh, in terms of our you know, kindy through year six, it um, has serviced our entire community. The places that in which we've raised, like all of us are living off country. Um, my my husband's family are from Coonabarabran and Galagambone in Western New South Wales, and and when you um, if you know AIDS and know what it's made of, in the late 60s and 70s, it was a community where a lot of Aboriginal people were moved, um, were given public housing. And um, we created, well, not me, I've, I've had the privilege of living in it, but they created a community that um, is was a coming together of lots of people. So the sense of community is very, very strong there, although most of us all come off country and not, are not traditional descendants of Dharaw people. Uh, it's, you know, has our local Aboriginal medical service. It, it gave me um, what I needed to be successful and I feel like um, I'm not done um, giving that back to Aboriginal kids uh, and non-Aboriginal kids who come through the gates there. So we've got 135 wow. Aboriginal kids and, uh, at our school and, um, you know, 300 students hailing from all different backgrounds. But one of the things that I'd like to say I think happens when our kids leave uh, our school is that they go um, with a strengthened sense of, of who they are and um, what um, Australia is um, in terms yeah. of, a, of a place for, for everybody, but with a deep history um, of our people. I couldn't agree more. I um, You said something in some professional learning that you did recently um, at my wonderful school, and you said, um, and I want to put this on a T-shirt or a coffee mug or something, but you said the best way to bridge the gap is to be the best teacher you can be. What works for Aboriginal students works for all students. Um, would you mind maybe unpacking why that, I mean, it's obvious, but why is that so important and what do we need to remember when we're teaching all students? Relationships. Like we, we're a people who are, are built on relationships. Like I started off talking about, you know, my song lines and connection to country. Um, a teacher knowing who I am and how I belong in the wider community, in my home community, and then in the classroom um, is fundamentally the only way that you're going to get the best out of a child. And a child who, who doesn't know you, doesn't feel loved by you, doesn't feel valued by you, won't work for you. And and I think fundamentally we've we've spent the last 10 years focusing on what uh, strong, purposeful relationships uh, look like. Yeah. And when I think about, like, you know, Dr. Sarah, uh, he talks about strong and smart and, and strong strong in culture and smart in, in the Western world ways so we can we can do it all. Yeah. 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 I think that's, um, I mean, that's essential, isn't it? I know when you don't have that relationship with kids, wherever they're from, um, there's just no learning that occurs. And I always say to my 
the students that I have a privilege of supervising is that my most important job is to make sure you feel safe and to make sure you feel valued. I mean, why? while teaching is also an important part of our job, um, if we miss that first bit out, they just won't. Um, they just won't learn. I mean, no one learns in an environment where they don't feel safe and valued. And funnily enough, as, as humans, right, it's the thing we do the best. Sometimes I see yeah. people get to the classrooms and forget that that's really what it's about. And the overlay mm. of curriculum, um, you know, the overlay of whatever pedagogy you're employing in the school at the time shouldn't take precedence over the relationship. And so yeah. we, we kind of worked a little bit backwards at Briar Road. Um, my my first few years of, of leading, probably my first four years were just about um, building the cultural capacity of the staff developing strong relationships with everybody and then having my staff do the same thing. And it's only probably been in quite honest, um, honestly, it's been the last kind of four years where we've been able to deep dive into, you know, really focusing on um, our pedagogical practices and, and we're seeing, you know, great, great results. As well. We can't really focus on the teaching and learning because the, the trust is, is, is so significant. It, it's interesting that that um, I would imagine in your role, um, I'm, I'm not a school principal, but I, um, I imagine how busy it would be. Um, I, I would assume that, that once you started a school, the, um, you'd be drawn to make, sorry, you could be drawn to be making quick changes fast. Um, and it seems that you've taken, um, obviously, the longer route to building that trust and building that cohesiveness. And now once that's there, it's amazing that you can start looking at some really great high quality pedagogy and, and direction and is are there any misconceptions about being a school principal oh good question don't understand about the complexities of the role uh, i think um uh, at the times where i've felt like at, I'm, I'm at my peak of frustration um in my role would have to be when i feel the furthest away from children Right. So, okay. You know, That's interesting. Yeah. In, in reality, and on on paper, um, instructional leadership should be what we're all about. And and we're mm-hmm. seeing a a little bit of a return to this honouring um, of 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 the by reducing things like love. our um, reducing things like administration. But the moment that I feel I haven't seen kids for a bit, I haven't had a laugh I haven't you know been out there and um enjoyed whether it's playground or the classroom um that's the time where I felt the highest levels of frustration like all all of the other things I think are um you know are are the the chalk of the of the job like I understand um how much complexity goes with it but um if I ever feel uh frustrated it's usually because I haven't um been near kids for a little bit and when I say near, I mean like in a deep way. You see, you're near kids all day. Um, yeah. But if you, yeah. you, you're not near them in the sense of um, spending quality time with them, that's when it's frustrating. We're having this conversation in a very significant part um, of the year, and that's, of course, NADOT yeah. Week. Um, why is, uh, for those people that are not aware that are listening in other parts of the world, um, why is NADOT Week so significant and what's so special about this year? Yeah, NADOT Week, for me, and and I obviously have um, a biased view towards NADOC, but uh, everyone that I, you know, spend time with, uh, I think feels the same about it. It's an opportunity just to celebrate um, what is 
Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander excellence. And um, it, it is an opportunity for mainstream Australia um, to see some parts of the very best of our culture, you know, on display publicly, um, you know, whether it's through television and the arts, um, whether it's through localised events, like it's just an amazing opportunity to to celebrate and share um, some of the most uh, unique and uh, exciting parts of our culture. And for me, uh, having something that is on, on the national calendar um, gives us an opportunity to be seen, to be valued um, and known um, by, by broader Australia. And, and, you know, when I go to a NAIDOC event or, you know, when I see anything um, that is publicised and see a lot of Aboriginal people there, right there next to them are a lot of non-Aboriginal people um, celebrating and, and really getting to know uh, Aboriginal Australia in a, a, a very unique and, and so I, I just I just think it's just a beautiful um, place and space for Australia um, to have. Amazing. And what is um, so significant um, about this year's theme? Yeah, the, every year there's a different theme and it usually... Um, talks to some of the things that um, we are striving for in our own communities, um, if not all of the time, but at that particular uh, point in time. This year, it's it's something that we're always about all of the time, and that's about um, the role that our elders play in our communities and in our lives and um, how they have been uh, the people who have had the responsibility for ensuring that uh, our culture, our song lines um, uh, have been yeah. alive and strong. And, and, you know, these are the people that have walked through far harder times than, than I am or, or particularly far different times than, than I currently am. And we, we stand on the shoulders of giants in our community and um, it's just a beautiful time to take stock of, you know, the role that elders have played in, in strengthening who we are as a people. Uh, I had our school um, NAIDOC events and we have a an annual dinner, which we've been doing for, for many years, and we have a great relationship with our elders. And there was a large number of them in attendance at our, our dinner. And, it, like, I spent a, a lot of the next day and night really kind of reflecting on um, the national treasures that they are. You know, um, in in our in our small little unique community, we have so much influence, power, knowledge, uh, in, in our elders, and I, I'm so thankful and feel very fortunate that our kids get to experience that. Um, but you know, it's wonderful to hear of you know wider mainstream Australia talk about um, the role of elders because we talk yeah. about them a lot yeah. in our lives. And and I know when I talk to non-Aboriginal colleagues, they talk about you know that they have elders in their lives too, their their grandparents and their aunties and their uncles, and who are responsible for for giving on their stories. Um, ours being highlighted in the way that they are and and deserve as as being beautiful this year. Yeah. I love that. And, and what do you think are some of the things that non-Indigenous cultures could learn um, from Indigenous cultures about the significance of elders? Yeah, I, I think for me, uh, seeing, seeing the elders in our community who have um, overcome, you know, in this country, we're still on a journey. Um, they, yeah. they are the people, particularly in my family, when I look at my elders who are, you know, 
for a lot of them in their 60s and 70s, they came through uh, a policy time that wasn't kind, um, that policies yeah. were used as a, as a weapon for dispossession. And, and when I look at their strength and, you know, to hear Stan Grant, he, he, when he finished up on Q&A a couple of weeks ago, um, he, he really spoke strongly about love. And I understand love. Um, and I understand love in my culture, but he really articulated in a way that I was like, wow, like I probably haven't heard it articulated wow. like that, but that we, we are, we come with love um, and they come yeah. with love to share. You know, for some of them, I, I think, wow, they, they could be bitter and want to hold on to this, and, um, but they understand the importance of, of, of sharing in order for us not to make the same mistakes again. Um, and, yeah. and in terms of sharing to to make sure that you know we we become a culture where we focus on intergenerational love rather than on trauma um and, and these are yeah. the people that have had to absorb so much of that um in order for us to be where we are today and um we, we need to to honor and um thank and respect that yeah Absolutely. I, I was having a conversation a little while ago with, um, I think I might have mentioned to the, this to you previously, with um, Mandanara Bales, and she was talking about, like, just amazing. I mean, my wife did a little bit of work with her a while back, and, and that's how we ended up having a conversation. But I I was talking to her um, about this, and we, uh, we were discussing, so she was saying that there's so many, um, uh, there's such a lack um, through um, uh, health uh, issues and so on and so forth with um, uh, with elders um, in the community and she's saying that there's such a void there of uh, knowledge and traditions and, and and love and and all of these things that just don't get passed mm-hmm. out I mean I I remember vividly sitting with my granddad um, asking him about the war I would have been the second world war I would have been probably eight or nine and and he lived well until his uh, into his 90s same as my grandma and and I'm aware that for many people that's that's just not the case I mean um, you yourself lost your grandmother at a really young age. Um, it must be, it must be really difficult not having those um, many of those elders or many of those um, role models for our indigenous kids. Um, yeah, what are your, what are your thoughts on that, and how can we um, keep those stories alive and make sure that those traditions are actually passed out? To future generations. Yeah, that, that that's um, you know, some really ins- yeah, yeah, really, really um, insightful yeah. commentary. For me, I think about my grandmother. She she was a mother to twelve, and she had forty five grandchildren when she passed. And I, I probably was middle of the road to be quite, Gosh. but yeah, I, you know, she she had a big mob, and um, that that's pretty particularly at that point in time pretty common in our you know in our families to have big big families like that. And one of the things is there was a great sense of obviously loss um, for the matriarch and and for the knowledge. Um, but then what's one of the parts that's really beautiful about our culture is the the embracing of, of, of one another. And so, you know, you have many, many grandmothers, many grandfathers, many aunties, many uncles, um, that they don't necessarily need to be direct um, bloodlines to you. Um, yeah, part, part of being part of this culture is um, that opportunity to, to be part of a broader um, a broader yeah. family and and I see that occurring in my place you know not all of my children um, are living you know main, maybe with their their 
their actual parent. Um, some of them are living in kinship systems. Um, you know, many have different um, different structures to their their current families. But the embracing of, of all children by by the elders to share story to to give them yeah. a sense of connection to make them see yeah. value um, to be valued um, is is one of the most beautiful parts of, of our culture. The most beautiful part, I think. I love that. I remember when I first started dating my wife, going around to her family and there was about 40 people around the barbecue and she said, and everyone was auntie, everyone was uncle, everyone was cousin. And I just remember being so overwhelmed with how big her family was. Um, And not all of them, I think most of them were were friends, were were acquaintances, were um, uh, kind of... um, significant people in her family but i love that in in many cultures the notion of family is so um broad and expansive but also so inclusive and i remember feeling um at home straight away Um, and it's 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 really lovely and i think that um many cultures can learn so much i think from that um just the importance of that idea of partnering with each other to to raise the next generation. I think it's the mo- one of the most beautiful uh, things. Yeah, you know, you, a little bit before you talked about how through through chronic health um, and, and through, you know, what has happened in the past uh, for our people, our elders are leaving us far too early. One yeah. of the, the things that uh, our families do very well is wrap around and, yeah. you know, yeah. I think that wherever, you know, I've seen a struggling, you know, family member or even in my own family, I've seen someone, there's always someone there who um, are there to wrap around. And it doesn't mean that it has to be, you know, a sibling or a mother or father. It's just um, what community is about. And, uh, yeah, that's probably one of the, if I think about some of the best parts of being black, there's many, 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 many parts. Um, the, the whole thing is, is the best part. But um, the uniqueness um, would be the way that we are um, with family and those that that are part of it. I love that. That's um, that's really beautiful, and that's one of the the many many things um, I'm grateful for being married into a um, Indian South African family. Is you never go through anything yeah. alone. Um, that of course comes at a cost. Uh, so aunties and uncles know absolutely everything about you and are very involved and. <laughs> Uh, readily offer their viewpoints um but, but it does um it, it comes out of a place of of of, of yeah. love and i think that's gotta take the good with the bad really, right you gotta then, take the good with the bad um, <laughs> everyone being yeah. um being heard uh people sharing problems you know yeah Tammy, obviously we're um, in school holidays at the moment uh, in Australia, so there won't be that many NAIDOC week celebrations happening this week. Um, but as students begin to return to school in a few weeks' time, how, and, and teachers, of course, how can we make sure that we um, authentically engage in NAIDOC week um, and how can we make sure that it's a celebration um, for everybody? Yeah, I've been really um, encouraging schools to to really think about what they know about what NAIDOC week even is, you know, it's 
it's all great to have, you know, a a significant week. But if you know very little about how it came to be, what it symbolised over the years, the deep um, advocacy um, protest and work to get it to what it is today um, has been because of our elders. And so if you're going to do the work of, of, of honouring elders, I think this is the best opportunity to to go back and look and reflect on the history of NAIDOC. Um, that's something we do in our school a lot um, and don't do it just once. Each year we go back out of respect, um, respect to the, the cause, respect to the fight that's gone on. Um, our people have... Um, done that at a heavy cost that kind of lifting and um you know the same way that i look at um you know brothers and sisters in the states around mlk day and and honoring um dr martin luther king and the work that that he did um annually we too uh, need to find those opportunities to go back as as a people and celebrate um those who have um you know who have done the heavy lifting And, and i said before we we stand on the shoulders of giants and uh as a, as a broader um, Australian community, I would love to see our schools um, get deep with the knowledge of who have been some of those symbolic Aboriginal yeah. people and Torres Strait Islander people um, in, our, yeah. in our communities. And who are they currently? It's, you know, we can we yeah. Yeah, continue to learn. Absolutely. I mean, you've worked uh, and, and you continue to consult with our wonderful school and you've worked with us for years. Uh, and one of the things that we're doing um, as an Aboriginal Education Committee is um, encouraging um, staff to to unpack some of those principles themselves and to go on that journey. I think is really meaningful. I'd love to see staff, you know, just this week. You know, if this goes, I'm actually going to look to cut this um, and get it out. And there there are lots of events like in your own communities. Like, get out there. Um, you know, meet yeah. meet people who are from your community. Just take your own children and immerse them in in Aboriginal celebrations. Um, you are more than yeah. welcome. And it, you know, again, Stan Grant says it very very well. We, we we come with love. It's not those days when you you know drive past you know Ed's High School, which is going to be hosting NADOC. Um, that's for you as much as it is for us. So yeah. so stop in and enjoy. Yeah. I love that. We, um, uh, I, I took my daughters a few weeks ago to uh, Sydney Zoo uh, and in Blacktown, yep. and they um, they were so excited. There was um, some sort of pre NADOC week celebrations, and they came back with their face painted, and they were just so excited. And I, I think it's it, it it's really wonderful to see all people, um, regardless of whether from, regardless of where they call home or who they identify with. Um, it seems like a celebration for all, which is which is incredibly beautiful. And I think we, while we do have a really long way to go um, uh, um, to heal as, as a nation, um, I feel like we're, it's a lot more inclusive and a lot more, um, like I said, it's a celebration for everybody, which is which is really, really lovely. Absolutely. I think uh, about really the beautiful. opportunities that, you know, your daughters might, you know, may be getting, you know, in comparison to what, Maybe we were giving 30 years ago when we were learning about, you know, my people being savages and, you know, nomadic uh, of type and that, you know, there wasn't all of this deep depth of culture that existed um, within us and around us. And, you know, your girls are getting to see, you know, I would hope the very best um, parts of of who we are and with you doing the deep learning, you know, you have to think about what they're going to look like, you know, 20 years Mm. from now. um, I'm hoping that Australia looks completely different, both for my people and for yours. Yeah, I I think that's so important, Tammy. And um, 
My understanding is that your role um, has changed slightly in recent years. I mean, obviously, you're still the, the principal at Briar Road, but what are some of the other things um, that you're involved in and how on earth do you manage to juggle it all? Because it seems, I thought my life was busy, uh, but yours seems to be even more so. But how, what are you involved in currently um, and how do you how do you stay sane? <laughs> yeah, I, I, um, I'm a school principal uh, is is my role, and that's the the one I loved and uh, and love, continue to love. I'm not, I'm not, um, certainly not done in that space. So I've I've taken a little bit of time off on Mondays and Tuesdays, and have been working with schools. Um, and schools just get me in as 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 a casual, and um, I do some some deep work with their teams, challenging them, um, learning with them, um teaching them uh, some of the, the nuances that maybe they haven't um, explored around um, our people and culture, getting people to think a little bit more deeply than um, the surface level, which we've been really good at, really good at, um, and people have done a fantastic job to, to get us to the point that we are. Some schools are ready to go on the journey a little bit more uh, deeper, and so I've been doing yeah. um, that in spaces with some school leaders, which has been really um really Amazing. beautiful and exciting and it's also been teaching me a lot about myself and my own leadership so it's you know the reciprocity is there and when I return back to my school I'm challenging um in things that that maybe we we aren't doing and haven't done or explored yet okay. and then you know I, I am president of our local AECG which is a volunteer uh, Aboriginal um organization at very grassroots in terms of supporting our community engaging with schools and schools engaging with community and you know the, the, I sit on a, a lot of um, not-for-profit boards and yeah but I, I mean I think that where I can lend my voice to um, to improve opportunities for our youth and, and young people um, I, I think it's always worthwhile yeah it, it's it's so inspiring I and mean, every time that we have a conversation or, or, or I see you present you just seem so um, incredible you are so energizing and so amazingly passionate and so honest um, how do you how do you maintain that I know that, that, that school teachers and principals especially are some of the most hard-working people on the planet but how do you look after yourself how do you uh, take care of uh, of what matters most because, as I said, it is school holidays and I'm very aware that we're having a conversation uh, when you probably should be relaxing. But how do you how do you maintain that sense of yeah, excitement yeah. and passion? Good question. I, I was a, a really young mum. Um, I had a, a mum and was a single mum at, at 19. And um, I, I spent a fair bit of my life then in terms of my career. I, I finished uni. Uh, my mum said go back to uni and I'd kind of had four months off and went back just to get my degree done and I kind of went into teaching immediately and really strove to um, maybe prove something to myself that I, I could, could could kind of do it all and uh, my son who's 24 now um, is just a, a, a phenomenal young um, black man and uh, who's achieving great things himself but I became a mum again then yeah. at 37. Um, Gosh, I was a, that's a big gap. <laughs> so, like you yeah. know, a 17-year gap, um, and what what he taught me to do was to slow down, and um, it, that it's okay to be a leader and go slow. Uh, you don't you don't need to be going fast all the time, and I probably um, I'm glad I learnt that, 
because it will hold me in good stead um, long term because, you know, adrenaline will only take you so far, um, but it's the stamina um, that I need. So really taking that chance just to, um, you know, put the phone down um, because, you know, I think the, the term well-being is overused a little bit at the moment and I think there's almost like a lost understanding of what that means. I think you need to do whatever works for you. Um, for me, yeah. it is just like a just a, a switching off. Um, and, and knowing that the world's not going to end if I don't respond um, in, in 10 minutes. Wow. Yeah. Well, uh, Tammy, I am uh, incredibly grateful that you responded to my request uh, to, to have a conversation. And um, I, I do want to be respectful of your time. So I've just got a couple of um, very short um, questions to ask just to Absolutely. round up. Um, the first one um, <clears throat> If I was sitting down with you, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, and we're having a coffee and I was just about to step foot into the classroom, I was bright-eyed, I was bushy-tailed, I was ready to go, uh, what would be a short piece of advice that you would give me? Love what you do and who you do it for. Okay. Yeah. That's really important. And would the advice be similar um, if I was about to step into a school leadership position? Yeah, exactly the same. Yeah. I love that. No, no change. change. No change. <laughs> Amazing. Well, Tammy, I'm so, so grateful uh, that you would um, talk to me in school holidays and especially it's such a significant um, uh, part of our calendar with NADOT week. I'm, I'm incredibly grateful. And um, when I heard you speak the first time, I was just in awe and it wasn't necessarily what you said. Um, it was the the heart behind what you said and you just have this amazing ability to create safe spaces where people can ask whatever questions they want and I I truly believe that's going to be the thing that moves us forward as a nation um, is being able to ask those questions and not being scared to look silly and so thank you for that um, your work is um, is just so incredibly important and uh, you're a real asset to our profession. So thank you for taking the time to talk thank with me. Thank you. So can I can I say to you, though, um, you know, allyship, some people think it's about, um, you know, you having the view and you, you sharing that. Uh, I think good allyship is about you having your own views, um, but people doing deep work and honouring um Aboriginal people who have expertise in the space as well and and by going back I, I've looked at who you've had on on your show and I've spent time talking with you and so I, I want to thank you for your allyship for for giving a platform to our people to continue um to to tell um the important things that need to be told in real honest um ways and and you are certainly a gun I said it the first time I saw you uh, Mr Green I was like you got a you got a face that that's super friendly. I think well, I can't remember what I said exactly, Matt. Can you remember? Yeah, I, I think you, you said. I mean, it was everyone was laughing, uh, but um, you said something along the lines of "you have a recognisable face," and I thought that could be Australia's most wanted criminal. Uh, it could be anything. So, uh, yeah, but no, I. You were not done, I, sir. I remember. I remember that. But um, no, thank you so much, Tammy, for your kind words. And as I said, for, for taking the time just to just to come and have a conversation. I know that there'll be people um, all over Australia and also all over the world that will get something from this discussion, whether they be listening to it while they're doing the washing uh, or as they drive to work. Um, so my hope is that there would be people out there that would 
truly learn something about the um, not only vulnerability but also the uh, incredible stories of our First Nations people. And so um, I'm hugely grateful. And please go and enjoy the rest of your school. Oh, holiday. same to you. So have an amazing NAIDOC week. Thanks, Tammy. No worries. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Art of Teaching podcast today. I hope that you, like me, got some valuable insights out of our discussions. For show notes, please visit theartofteachingpodcast.com. And I've also created a private Facebook group where we can continue the discussion there. The link will be in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and can't wait to see you for next week's episode.